Wandering, quick shot, score! Jan Fulis! Fulis tied up Hank and it took him down. Fans wanted a penalty, but it was on. He was riding a piggyback. Quick take get to see a replay of this one. He jumped right on his back. Jack Johnson. This is Daniel Wagner with the Passive Tabulas podcast. I am very excited to welcome to the podcast this week none other than Ryan Beach of Everywhere fame. Yes, <laughs> whoever will pay me. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you you write for several outlets and speak for another. Yes. Uh, just just go through like who who do you work for? Who, 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 do, who, are you, who, who do you work for? <laughs> who is your master? Like, uh, I guess Canucks Army, uh, the Athletic Vancouver. Um, I sometimes freelance for the Canucks.com, and then I speak the words at uh, Sportsnet 650. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like you're super official, right? Like you're I, you're the prospect guy for Sportsnet 650. Yeah, it's a little odd sometimes. Like, <laughs> I think they call me the prospect analyst or something like that. I'm like, I, okay, sure. Yeah, you're an, you're an analyst now. You're you're an official hockey man. Yeah. Oh no, we're not there. <laughs> Are you not among the 200 hockey men? No, no, I would like to be, but I'm not part of that 200 oh. hockey men. Well, that's too bad. You're working your way up, though. Yeah, it's good. You're a hockey boy. Hockey boy. <laughs> yeah. A, a hockey teen, a hockey young adult. I don't know. It's, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Not not yet a man. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to take what you're calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't help it it's, it's just uh but no no you're you're a dad you're like a hockey dad now like you, yeah uh, like for for a while now so that that puts you into manhood we'll we'll give you that yeah i definitely feel a lot older than my peers when i'm like yeah i have two kids yeah, yeah. so that's definitely different well i've got three not that it's a competition but <laughs> it's definitely a competition and i'm winning yes <laughs> <laughs> i am the the canucks hockey writer with with the most kids oh no that's not true I'm probably tied with Jeff Patterson or something. I think he has two, if I recall correctly. Yeah? yeah. Oh, man. Maybe I am winning. I think Botch has three. Ah, rats. A tie. Yeah. Oh, his are older, so he probably gets the tiebreaker. Yeah. That, so. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, speaking of kids, let's, uh, let's talk about some kids, specifically uh, some kids that could someday play for the Canucks. Um, so the big concern in the Canucks uh, prospect pool, which is the strongest it's been ever supposedly um i i'm when i when i say that and when i hear that i like i i throw up some red flags because i'm like at one point the canucks had the sedines in their prospect pool yep and i don't know that they have anyone that is as good as they are <laughs> in the pool like there's there's a whole bunch of question marks so so i wonder like okay there's a lot of good players in the prospect pool but is it as strong as it was when they had the Sedin twins as their blue chip guys. I don't know. Uh, I'd say so because I think even at that time, well, like it was Brian Allen in those two. So um, it was there was a the high point and then a steep drop off. Just, and then, just a small cliff. Yeah, and then I think we have like the Pedersen, and then there's a light, slight drop off from there to the second tier, and then it's a steep drop off there. So I think that's where it's that you could say it's the best group. Uh, I think that uh, the time when there was the Schneiders, the Kessler, Burroughs, Hanson, mm -hmm. Edler, maybe not at that time people saw it as strong, but it definitely was formed the you know the nucleus of the Cup run. So I think that's probably the other time where we we're near where we are now. Um, okay, in that point. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, people kind of underrate 
that that group of players sometimes. So it's like they were part of the best team yeah. in Canucks history. Yes. Yeah. And like Mason Raymond was there as well. Oh, the yeah. Because of that group. Like I, at that time, it probably was seen, it wasn't was seen as good because the West Coast Express was here. Um, but uh, that was kind of the next time that they had kind of that mass of prospects at the same time. And you'll notice a couple defensemen in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's the key. Like the Canucks pool right now has a lot of depth, but there are some holes in it. Um, one of the most obvious is on defense, but I'd say they have some holes elsewhere in the system as well. I'm really uncertain about their center depth in, in the prospect pool, but but the real need right now is at defense because because who do they really have right now? The Their blue chip prospect on defense is Ole Ulevi. And and he's kind of I'm wondering, is he actually a blue chip prospect? Is he more of like a mauve chip like a, I don't know, like a, a periwinkle chip. Like, I, I don't know, like calling him a blue chip prospect right now seems to be maybe pushing it a little. I, I don't know how high exactly you are on him. I, I know that you probably think more highly than some of the Canucks fan base. Yes, uh, I wouldn't say blue chip. I, I, I define blue chip as being uh, expected to be an impact player at the NHL level. And I don't think you will be that type of impact player at the NHL level. And that's just how I define blue chip personally. Okay. So, you know, I would say that uh, Michael Sergachev was a blue chip prospect prior to coming to the <laughs> NHL, um, where Ole Ulevi is probably not at that same level as Sergachev is. Okay. So. And the Canucks, of course, picked Ulevi before Sergachev. Yes, yes, among many or, others. Yeah. Sorry, Sergachev. Yes, I, as soon as I said it, I realized I said it wrong. So. <laughs> I, I like to think that he's actually British and he's a knight. He's Sergachev. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> of, of the round table in Tampa Bay. Um, so they have Yua Levy. Yua Levy, uh, he, he seems to be like he's at least going to be a second-pairing defenseman. Like, he's a, he's a top-four guy. Um, hopefully be a steady two-way guy. He, he doesn't have the shot, I would say, to be an offensive defenseman, perhaps, at the NHL level. Um, but he, he's at least going to be a top-four guy. And, and the Canucks will give him every chance to, to do that. Um, the question is, who do they have after Yua Levy? <laughs> Uh, not much. As much as they uh, <laughs> want to tell you otherwise, there isn't much there. Yeah. Uh, but, even if you think that Chatfield or Breezebaugh or Sautner or uh, McEnany, throw those four together. Oh, man, McEnany. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, you throw the, if you think any of those are going to be an NHL player, or are they going to be any sort of impact at the NHL level? And that's where the difference is. Yeah. So I look at those guys that they have in the AHL, especially. Like I, I look at them and I see third pairing guys. Like Sautner kind of surprised me with with how he played in the NHL at the end of uh, last season. I didn't expect him to be as comfortable in the NHL as he clearly was. Um, but he looked like he could be a third pairing guy. And I look at Guillaume Brisebois and I, ju- I just don't see what the Canucks see in him at all. They seem to think that he is uh, their second best defensive prospect. And every time I see him play, and, and, and admittedly, that's not a ton but every time I get to see him play, I, I just leave unimpressed, just wondering what is it that that others see that I don't. Uh, he's very underwhelming. Um, <laughs> he doesn't really do anything proficiently. Um, he doesn't really have too much of an offensive game. High praise. Well, I, 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 like every every team has uh, Gilliam Breezeball or two or three, and yet the Canucks think that Gilliam Breezeball is going to be the guy who's going to help get this core going and it's it's definitely odd to uh hear them him be one of the first players mentioned because you know any team has a a, you know a second third fourth round pick defenseman who's probably exceeded expectations based on their draft position and and it's projecting to be an NHL player but 
every team has two or three of those and the Canucks seem to think that Breezeball is the best of that group. It's it's just it's hard to take when you when when you look at their defensive prospects and they they go from U Levy to Breezeball and it's like that's that's a massive cliff and if Breezeball is your second best defensive prospect what does that say about the rest of the prospect pool like and and people look at Jalen Chatfield and go oh yeah he's he's like a a Chris Tanev type he's going to be the next Chris Tanev it's like no he's not he had he had a good showing at Canucks prospect camp he was good in the preseason um, but he really outperformed his skill level it seems like he he suddenly was putting in goals and that that's not his game and it definitely wasn't his game in Utica this year yeah I don't think he scored a goal until the last two or three weeks of the game i can't remember exactly but uh that was the one he scored his last goal <laughs> or his first goal of the season was definitely late in the season um, yeah he had gone 55 games or something <laughs> like that without scoring so um i i think that you know again chad field is going to be a guy who's going to possibly make the nhl but again as a bottom pairing defenseman who's you know it does play the you know play the way that the nhl is going now is kind of that puck possession ability to move out or skate with it as, if needed but it's not going to be any way to push the needle any further so i think if anything the canucks have a lot of uh, options for cost certainty when it comes to depth defensemen going forward which is good to have but to kind of praise them as being like okay here's where we're going with our rebuild with these forwards so there are some nice you know some nice forwards in there who are intriguing but to say that these are the guys that are going to be the ones to help that forward group can be it seems to be a disconnect between the two for sure and it's just it's it's frustrating too when you look at the nhl level and you see the young defensemen that they have there's a lot of uncertainty there too like troy stetcher he seems legit like he he can potentially play on a second pair maybe with the right partner he can even play on a first pairing if if he has the right partner that's a big if and the Canucks don't necessarily have that right partner in the system coming up. Um, but then Ben Hutton had a disappointing year. They don't seem to believe in him. Uh, he doesn't. At one point in his rookie year, he looked like he was going to be uh, a key part of the Canucks core going forward. And now he might not even be on the Canucks next year. So it, it's it's just is this huge question mark of like, what are they going to do? That Derek Pouliot, is he the answer? Like, there's all these huge question marks uh, with their young defensemen and their prospect pool. Now, there are a couple intriguing guys that they just picked in their last draft that I, I kind of look at and go like, OK, there's a couple wild cards there. And one of them's Jack Rathbone, who it feels like we know nothing about. Yeah, because he's playing high school hockey and, and there's no statistics or barely any statistics available for him, barely any highlights available for him. And, and no one goes and watches uh, Massachusetts prep high school hockey and, and does scouting reports for public consumption. No. Uh, <laughs> I caught a couple of his games in the major midget championships, which was after his high school season ended. And that was just because fluke, like I had the subscription to hockey TV and I someone was <laughs> like, oh, they're playing. And I was like, oh, wait, isn't Rathbone on that team? And so I was able to watch a couple of those games and that's fine. But it's hard to gauge what his level is going to be when he's, you know, the draft plus one but playing against some kids who are 16 years old yeah and he could just go end to end so uh, you know there is a, it's another huge wild card he could go to the ncaa and just not be able to translate it as well or he could continue to be the offensive guy that he is it's hard to say and, and the other one you know is matt Bursard and yeah. um you know there's a little you know there's things to like about the game his game it, it the thought process behind the pick was good 
Um, he did well, but he's also in his draft plus two year now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so like what's that overall ceiling? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and that's why I say like those guys are kind of wild cards. Like yeah. they, they could shock and surprise and, and turn into a second pairing offensive defenseman even like that is a potential there. It's just not likely. Yeah. And you know, there's a huge, uh, huge gap between their ceiling and their floor and expecting them to be a, a key part of the Canucks going forward just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So what we see here is is a prospect pool that has some some good pieces at forward, um, even if there's still some question marks there and they could use some more high end guys. Uh, they have a couple good prospect goaltenders. Uh, Thatcher Demko seems like he has the right temperament and he has the right skill level to become a potential number one goaltender. And Michael DiPietro, he, I don't know, just talking to him, I never want to count him out because <laughs> he's just brimming with confidence. Yeah. And, and he also just seems to be very self-aware as, as well, that he he knows what he needs to work on. He he knows the gaps and flaws in his game, but he he's willing to, to put the work in to to work on those. Yeah, that was a kind of an overriding thing with all the players um, that they selected um, Pedersen side, although I think he recognizes what his issues are. Uh, but like Lind understood what he needed to do better. Gadjevich was aware that his foot speed wasn't good enough. DiPietro knows his problems. Um, so I think that was a common theme and something that, you know, the organization probably targeted as, as an attribute that they found attractive, which I think is a good thing. But again, like, you know, Demko had a really good season in Utica. There's no denying that. But he still wasn't the best goaltender in, in the AHL. Yeah. So, like, to yeah. say that he's going to come in here and he's going to be a stud number one goaltender for the Canucks is it's still entirely possible. But he could also just be a league average goaltending, which is essentially what the Canucks had with Ryan Miller. And they were still horrific, right? So <laughs> I think there's it always comes back to the disconnect between you know the hype of, a pro, of the prospect pool and and where it can actually go um, from there. So you know you, we're, we've lost the Sedin twins, and and you, Pedersen did outworldly or out out of this world things in the SHL this year, but we're still replacing the Sedin twins. And yeah. then you know uh, let's say you know Ben Hutton gets traded, so now we're replacing Ben Hutton, who was good last year. Yeah, the timeline on Hutton, I'm kind of lost on, on when, he was, when he was good or not. When he's been, when has he been good? When has he been bad? Yeah. He was even good this last season, just yeah. depending on who he was playing with. Yeah, I, I thought he was excellent with Chris Tanev, yeah. for example. And a lot of people are excellent with Chris Tanev, but Hutton was legitimately looked like a top pairing defenseman, at least statistically, when you look at him playing with Tanev. Yeah, no, and, and Tanev makes anyone better. And and so let's say the Canucks don't trade Tanev this summer. Let's say that doesn't happen, and he has two more years left in his contract. Is that sounds right? Uh, he has next year sounds, and the year after. Sounds he, right-ish. He's not. He's not a UFA <laughs> at the end of next year. He's a UFA no. the year after. Yeah. So let's say they keep Tanev and they don't trade him, and you're bringing OU Levy. So then you're hoping that OU Levy is just replacing Chris Tanev. Oof. Like that's that's <laughs> that's the the you know the wheel spinning that you start to get into. Yes. If you're if you're then relying on these prospects to come in, and and yeah, they're arguably the Canucks are going to get better, and and the, they're going to you know move up the standings because they legitimately can't be worse than they were. But how are they going to move forward? So there is the hype of this prospect pool, which I think is warranted to some degree. But then where where is where's the trajectory of the team going? Well, obviously, this is why they have to sign more veteran free agents to support these young players. Yeah, right. Show, show them the way. <laughs> Com- compete. Yeah. Compete and bring in young players. Yeah. That is the motto of this organization. <laughs> it's, it's like the motto of just showing up. Like, yeah. Just showing up to work. Right? <laughs> I 
I, what did you do out there? Well, I competed. Yeah, yeah. but you, you lost 5 nothing. Yeah, but I was out there. I tried real hard. <laughs> like, competing is just such a wishy-washy word. We've talked about this before on the blog, about uh, the, the meaninglessness of the word compete. Yeah. But, uh, but it, you do bring up an interesting point about them wanting to have players that are kind of aware of their deficiencies, aware of their flaws, and have that willingness and drive to improve on them. And when I talked to Judd Brackett about that, that was something he highly prized, was, was that mental makeup, that, that ability to get better. And obviously we see that in some of the Canucks players. Bo Horvat is the best example, a guy who is just driven to continually get better. And not every hockey player has that. Um, some players are, are willing to just kind of rest on their laurels, uh, feel that they're better than um, those around them say. And that confidence is also potentially a good attribute. But being able to be humble and to, to recognize those deficiencies. Now, that saying that, maybe that's an attribute that the Canucks management needs as well. Yeah. That humility to recognize the deficiencies in the Canucks prospect pool when instead they've, they've felt overconfident about their system. So maybe they need a, a dose of what they want from their prospects. Yeah. They need that humility and that self-awareness to recognize the deficiencies and flaws and address them. And I think that happened to some degree. Like we, you know, there's always that joke about Tuesday Jim where the trade deadline Jim who, you know, traded Hanson and Burroughs and made those moves. And that was kind of the, it felt like it was going in a different direction. And, and I think even entering into the summer where they signed those free agents and then were, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, this is short term. This isn't a Louis Erickson deal. These are movable pieces. And then they kind of didn't really <laughs> execute that plan. Right. Yeah. So like, I think that self-reflection kind of happened and then it didn't follow, follow through fully. And I think that's where, um, you know, it kind of creeps back into doing the same thing over again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I don't necessarily want to talk about last trade deadline <laughs> again. Um, but just, just to let's kind talk of, defense, <laughs> let's talk about defense because that is the, the thing that they, uh, they seem to be aware of that as well, that they especially lack uh, depth on the right-hand side on defense, but they, they really lack that high end top end defense talent. Now, they do have a high draft pick, not as high as maybe they would have liked, um, but they do have a high draft pick coming up in the 2018 draft, seventh overall, and there are a lot of defensemen at the top of this draft. Yeah. Um, not the defensemen that they wanted when they went into the draft lottery, but like, let's not dwell on Rasmus Dahlin and his amazingness and how he's a generational talent that could turn around a rebuilding team overnight um, let's he's not gonna, let's not talk Buffalo. about that. <laughs> just love Buffalo. It's great sometime in here. Oh man! Uh, so what are they going to do with Rasmus Ristolainen? Like, is he going to play with Rasmus Ristolainen, or are they going to trade him? Like, so well, I, there's already scuttlebutt about possibly him being traded. Some Ryan Rashog suggested that the Oilers might be aggressive in trying to add a defenseman, and, and Ristolainen was a name suggested. And oh please, that would be just fantastic. <laughs> please, but, please, please, yeah. <laughs> Please, Edmonton, trade more futures and good forwards for mediocre defensemen. Just yeah. please. Just do it, yeah. <laughs> Keep the wheel spinning. Uh, but Ristolainen is a minute-munching defenseman. That guy plays like 25 minutes a night. Yeah, because they had no one else. <laughs> I, I just, I love like the phrase minute-munching defenseman. It's like, it's the same as compete. Yeah. It's like... Well, what did he do out there? Well, he munched some minutes. He just he he just devoured those minutes. He was existed. he any was he any good during those minutes? No. But he was there. He competed really hard in those minutes that he munched. 
Um, he's not hungry anymore. No, he's he, he's he's completely full of minutes. Uh, <laughs> they've turned into hours in his stomach. Um, but the Canucks do have some options after Rasmus Dahlin. I, I just want to kind of touch on some of those guys um, just to kind of give maybe Canucks fans a little bit of hope that there is uh, some defense talent on the way. Um, there is, of course, after Rasmus Dallin, uh Quinn Hughes is a name that comes up a lot. Yep. Um, the question mark with Quinn Hughes, uh, well, there's a couple. There's uh, his size, because he's five foot ten, and apparently that's still an issue for some people, despite guys like Tori Krug tearing up the NHL pretty much every season. Yep. <laughs> but apparently that's still an issue. But the bigger issue is he's probably not going to fall to seventh overall. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that he's either going to go to Arizona um, at fifth. I always get the order. Yeah, Arizona's at fifth, and or then uh, Detroit at Detroit sixth. Detroit at six. Because and I mean, he plays at Michigan University. Yeah. yeah. So. He's not a, he's not a Michigan-born kid, but I think that that would play into it. And I think that, you know, his skill set's good enough anyways that that may play into it anyway. So, yeah, I don't think that he's going to be on the board at seven. If he is, then the, they should probably get him. Um, that would be the right decision at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, what is it about Quinn Hughes that kind of stands out? Like, why is he? Why do people like him so much? Uh, he's definitely he's the best skater in this group. Um, I'd say of the entire draft class, he's able to kind of control the puck and do what he wants to do uh, in any way. He picks his lanes and can adjust his lanes as he needs to to draw defenders and create space and all these things. So, I think that you know the, the management has been beating the drum about getting a power play quarterback for God knows how long, and they <laughs> haven't been able to do so. And I think that if you're going to be trying to draft for that need i think quinton hughes is exactly that he's going to make any power play better with uh, zone entries or puck movement or even his own shot like despite his side he still has a pretty good shot based on his you know size and, and being only 18 years old so i think that as he gets stronger and, and more you know rounds out more into a man for lack of a better description <laughs> a hockey man i think that that's a, a, an attribute of his game that won't be a strength but i think it won't be a deficiency for him so i think that that gives you know if you're looking for that power play quarterback he is the guy um, to do so and I don't think he'll be, he's terrible at five on five so I think that you know you're not going to have to shelter him completely at that point but I think he's going to be dynamite enough on the power play to uh, warrant his, his selection yeah that's like the the thing that I always question whenever they say they want to power play quarterback because it's like yeah okay the Canucks could use a power play quarterback um okay like yeah. but they they could also just have like a not to denigrate John Carlson at all, but it's like it's not like he's a quarterback on the Washington power play. No, no, no. He just <laughs> he's just, just a guy. It across, you know? right? And yes. and he can hold the blue line. He does well at that. He he passes it across to Ovechkin for one timers or or whatever he needs to do. He's fine. But it's like you can have a good power play without that power play quarterback. In my mind, the Canucks need a guy who's better at five on five. They need a puck moving defenseman to move the puck at five on five, break the puck out. And so they can spend more time in the offensive zone rather than having just guys who can break up plays in the defensive zone and then not do anything with the puck. And it just stays there and causes more problems. Yeah, I don't think he's bad in his own zone at five on five or anything like that. But I do agree that he's probably not the best of this group that I'm sure we'll go over more of. Um, But then you're focusing on that kind of white whale of that power play quarterback. (laughs) Um, I I do think that his ability to kind of carry the puck out on his own and his own entries into the offensive zone are are his really like his calling cards. And I think that's why he's been kind of separating himself as the second defense, second ranked defenseman. And we kind of see at the world championship so far as which is what he's able to do when he's holding on to the puck and draw guys. So I think that's why he's put himself above anyone else. But I think that, you know, looking at the Canucks specifically, that might not be what, they need 
uh, in their entirety. <laughs> they need they need everything they on need defense, everything, though. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they need anything anywhere, right? So I think, yeah, I, I kind of agree with your point that maybe that you know he's not the perfect fit for what they need, but I think that if he's there, that they, they, they can't the say no. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get that dynamic anywhere else, like the dynamicness, Dyn- <laughs> dynamism, dynamism yeah. um, anywhere else in the draft, <laughs> right? Like that's the difference. Yeah, and and there's also the the little wild card, the little uh, little birdie chirping that says, "Hey, he has a brother." Yes, and Jack <laughs> Hughes is very good at the hockey. So <laughs> and so, if uh, they can pick Quinn Hughes, maybe keep him in the NCAA for another year, yeah, and be terrible again. And somehow lottery. win the lottery, pick first overall, get his brother Jack Hughes, a center, and suddenly have two brothers to lead the team into the future. And just trade for Emil Pedersen and uh, call it a day. There we go. Right. Just all, all brothers all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, like the Canucks have a history of having like the lesser brother. But they fixed that. They fixed that problem. Like they, they had uh, Fedor Fedorov, yep. for example, Steve Korea. Yeah. Um, there's some other examples, too, uh, that are not popping into my head right now. But uh, they fixed the problem by getting both brothers. They yeah. had Daniel Sedin. He's the worst of the two brothers, obviously. But they also had Henrik, so it worked out. You know. And now they got the better <laughs> brother in Pedersen, so they switched the narrative. Or yeah, they switched the, there we go. The switch, right? So. <laughs> oh man. Well, at least uh, at least we had those years with the Sedins. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so after Hughes, uh, one name that has kind of been dropping down draft boards is Adam Bookfist. Yep, Bukvist. I think Bukvist. Bukvist. Um, I will. I say. It, I think I say it every single week on six fifty. But I'll say it again. I'm terrible at pronouncing names because <laughs> a lot of the times when I'm watching European hockey, I mute it because like I don't know what's going on, so I can't. I can't focus well enough. So. Well, and and even then, like sometimes you find out later that the players say, "Oh no, don't pronounce the yeah. name that way." Like you hear all the time, the Swedish announcers say. Elias Pettersson, yeah. Pettersson, and then I hear from Swedish speakers, it's like, no, don't say Pettersson. It's Pettersson. <laughs> yeah. It's just the Swedish accent turns it into Pettersson. Yeah, for the longest time, like I watched Jesper Boyquist, his brother, for how many games last year, and it's Boyquist, 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 and then all of a sudden it's Boyquist, and people are like, no, it's always been Boyquist. I'm like, I've watched an entire year of his brother. Like, it's not like, oh, whatever. So. Uh, it was like, wasn't it Patrick Elias and then Elias? And yeah, then- <laughs> the people changed the name mid-career. Like, come on, don't do that to the play-by-play guys. They have a hard enough time as it is with all the names. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah. But Adam Buchvist, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be able to say it with a straight face now. Um, why is he kind of, like, he, he was hyped up as potentially being the second best defenseman in the draft yeah. coming out of uh, the uh, that tournament whose name? Pop- yes, the Ivan Hlinka tournament. Yeah. Um, where he had a phenomenal performance there. And then he's just kind of slid down slowly as the season has progressed. What What's happened with him? Uh, I think he struggled defensively um, in the Super Elite, which is the Junior League, and then also in his cup of tea in the SHL. Um, and that caused scouts to be concerned uh, about his overall play because, you know, if you can't defend, what are you gonna, why are you a defenseman kind of thing? <laughs> um, and I do agree. He, he definitely struggled in the SHL to be, play in the defensive zone. Um, but I think it was probably overstated. I think he's got... Uh, He's got a hammer of a shot. Um, it's a little wild at times, um, but like Happy Gilmore wild, kind of, yeah, <laughs> or knuckle puck kind of thing. Um, yeah, he's really he's very skilled with the puck as well. Good at moving and and, and you know what is it walking the line as Jim Benning loves so much. Um, those kind of things. He's a power play quarterback for sure. I do think his defensive struggles are a bit overstated. Um, he played really well at the Ivan Holinka, um, and then he played well at the U18s um, last month. 
guess that was last month now, um, <laughs> with Adam Ginning, um, kind of the top pairing for Sweden, and he played well defensively, in, in my opinion there. So I think that the the, the concerns about his defense game are overstated, um, and he has kind of worked out and rounded out his game, and there is a lot to like about him just because of how skilled he is with the puck and can move it and, and the shot. So I think that he's going to fall... <laughs> a little bit farther. Um, I won't be surprised if he's there at seven, to be honest with you. Because I think that we're going to see, obviously, the three go and then Hughes goes. And then five and six is anyone's game out of that grouping, right? So, yeah, because Brady Kachuk could go in that, in that. I think, yeah, I think Brady Kachuk's the other. So then it's pick them from there kind of thing out of that group. Evan Bouchard could go, whoever. So I think that it could be there. And uh, I'm a fan of Boyquist's game. And I, I that would be a hard pass up um, because I think... He's just so dynamic. Yeah, I think you could teach him... To improve his defensive game but there are definitely some red flags there. <laughs> the the thing that i've read about him and and watching what i've been able to of him uh he just seems to take risks in the defensive zone and end up on the wrong side of the puck yeah and right. i think lilligren did the same kind of idea last year um in the shl and various tournaments and then people were very concerned about his defensive and game he and fell a lot he fell the 17th to toronto and then i think he struggled at first in the hl defensively but he was actually really good in the second half and through the playoffs so i think that um, the skill set that the, those two have, you just can't really get it anywhere else in the draft. And so hopefully you can teach him how to play defense as a defenseman. Well, and it's like, uh, I don't want to compare him to Eric Carlson because I mean, people have, yeah. after Ivan Hlinka, people compared him to, and after some of his performance in super elite, they did compare him to Carlson, but like Carlson fell to 15th overall. Yeah. And it's like, I, I feel like teams are starting to wake up a little bit. That's why like Quinn Hughes is so is still ranked so high despite being a smaller guy. That's why Adam Boakvist probably isn't going to fall to 15th, 16th, 17th overall. Like teams don't want to miss on these guys like Carlson and potentially Lilia Grin and, and guys that didn't even get drafted like Tory Krug and, and that kind of defenseman. Yeah. And so like, I feel like the Canucks, the Canucks need offense from their defense. That's the, one of the biggest needs that they have. I, like I like Boakvist. The one question mark for me is that he did not produce when he played against men in the SHL and all Svenskin. Yeah. That's the big question mark is, is um, there's other players who played in those leagues that performed better, that, that put up more points and, and that they, that if he can't perform at that level at this age, you start to wonder maybe he won't be able to turn it uh, to, to develop into that player in the NHL. but Yeah, I think he just he's a super raw player, but uh, I think that, um, you know, for the Canucks specifically, they need skill on their defensive group, and I think that he offers that. Um, and, you know, he might be a little bit of a longer-term project than some of the other ones to get where he needs to go, but I think that uh, just his whole ability to create plays and create offenses is, is what separates him from this group of five defensemen that we're kind of covering here right yeah and then like yeah i guess i'm just always a little nervous about like taking a a project in the top 10 yeah (laughs) i don't know it's it's just uh well it could be such a wild card you could take the safe pick which they did which is you levy and then you know it doesn't doesn't, well no it's always like it's always hard to distinguish the two and i think that that's a perfect point is that you know, Levy was the safe pick because he had the most NHL-ready game, and now he kind of plateaued and has kind of worked his way back out of that plateau. But that's kind of the 
the both sides of it. And I, I think that you know you point to his production in the SHL. He had one assist in 15 games, which is not great, but um, even playing in 15 games as an 18 year old defenseman is an encouraging sign. Right. Um, so no matter what, um, that's good. He didn't play a lot of minutes to start, but started to get more near the end of the season. Um, so it's an encouraging sign. All right. And now, now you mentioned like the safe pick and, and uh, the name that pops up when I think safe pick right now out of these defensemen is Noah Dobson. And he seems to be a guy that the Canucks are leaning towards. That's what I hear. Am I mischaracterizing him as a safe pick? Because like when I hear safe pick from a defenseman that's getting picked in the top 10, I run for the hills because <laughs> that worries me so much. I think he's the safe pick in the sense that he's just a smart kid who plays, who does everything kind of well. Um, you know, he's got a decent offensive game. He can skate with the puck. He moves it well. He's good in his own zone. I think he's probably the best out of this group uh, in his own zone um, at five on five. And uh, yeah, I think that safe is it's probably not the right description of him, but I think he's the most, you know, projects to be a for sure top four defenseman for a long time. Right. So <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And, and I don't think that's bad. I think that uh if the Canucks pick Noah Dobson, I'm not going to be upset. No. <laughs> like he, he, he seems like a very good defenseman. He's produced in in the OHL. Um, I'm sorry, the Q. QMJHL. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of Evan Bouchard. My apologies. Um, but yeah, Dobson. He's produced in the Q. Uh, he's six foot three, so he's the tallest of the defensemen at the top of the draft. So he's got that wingspan in the defensive zone that can't you like. That. You can't teach that. You literally can't teach how long your arms are. Yeah. Uh, you can just give a guy a longer stick. That's about <laughs> all you can do. Um, so uh, it just seems like he has the most well-rounded game uh, of the group. He just lacks maybe that aggressiveness offensively. He's not a guy that necessarily jumps up in the play naturally. Not as aggressive in the offensive zone. He likes to stay up at the top of the zone from what I've read and what I've seen. Um, but he does have a good shot from from yeah. up top. He could play on the quarter uh, on on the power play. Maybe not as a, a quarterback, but as a guy who has a, a threatening shot from the point. I don't think he'd be a, a driver of the offense on the power play. I think he'd be a good puck distributor to his forwards and other defensive partners so whether setting up a one-timer okay. for his defensive partner or Besser or Pedersen or whoever it is I think he'd be good in that sense um, so I don't know if that's defining as a power play quarterback again I define a power play quarterback as a guy who can create things on himself and also do those things where I think that Dobson might be more of that distributor and, and can still do things on the power play. He's just not going to generate it. John things. Carlson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's not, not a compare, like not the same player, obviously, right. but like that's kind of the same kind of role is that he's able to make the puck go where it needs to go to get these chances. He's not going to, you know, gain the line, draw a defender, thread it through kind of thing right like so that's the difference but the hope is that in the future the power play will kind of run through Elias Pettersson and that you'll have uh, Besser as a shooting option yeah and then you just need a defenseman at the point who can move it between those players yeah yeah it, you know projecting into the future of the long run like I I can envision a 1-3-1 for the Canucks where they have someone in front whoever that may be and then Horvat in the high slot obviously Jonah Gadjevich <laughs> or Zach McKeon. oh yeah. okay um, <laughs> I, I see your hesitation yeah <laughs> As I bring up Gadjevich. And then Pedersen and Besser on either side, and then a guy at the top to move the puck around. Like, that's kind of... So, yeah. if you want that to be Dobson, that's fine. And I could see Ulevi being that, even though I don't think he's a... He has a slap shot. I don't think he does, because I probably he, saw... I think he I doesn't saw him, seem to. <laughs> yeah, I think I could count on both my hands how many slap shots he took last year. So, um, I think that that's kind of the projectable future. And if that's... You know, Dobson could easily slide into that role, for sure. Yeah, and I kind of, like... I don't know. I, I don't want to make the direct comparison, but I look at how the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of set up their 
power play where they've got kind of two shooters on either side in, in Kucherov and Stamkos. Yeah. And and they can just distribute between those two and have that shooting option from either face-off circle. Yeah. And that seems to be like what Pedersen and Besser could be for the Canucks. Yeah, I always love how people are like, you can't have both of them on the same power play. Like, uh, yeah, not? you can. Like you literally could just, because <laughs> what that does is that spreads out the box to try to prevent the shots. And then it creates space in the middle for whoever else you want to get to. And if they get time and space, then they can do that. And I think Pedersen's proficient enough to move the puck around himself that he can draw people to him to create a lane. And, you know, I love watching Tampa Bay right now because you just see Stamkos and Kucherov try to, like, pass as hard as possible across the box <laughs> to each other. And, I, I like, I could have been, I see that happening with Pedersen. He's just going to try to force it through all the time and it will work. So, uh, yeah. They yeah. can they can play on the same power play. It's okay. Yeah, that <laughs> they just need to have someone at the point. It'd be nice to have that high end power play quarterback. Um, the biggest need, as you mentioned before, is just someone who can create something, especially on zone entries. Yeah, um, that's that's the biggest thing. Being able to get into the zone from your own defensive zone and get set up quickly and efficiently. Um, that's something that the Canucks struggle with sometimes um edler isn't as bad at it as people seem to think yeah, that's generally the case with edler is that he isn't as bad as people make him out to be yeah yeah uh um and then there's another uh canadian guy evan bouchard out of the ohl now he's he's an odd case because like he doesn't have that dynamic look to his game he doesn't have the high-end skating that you see from some of the other offensive defensemen in this draft but Man, he put up points in the OHL this year. Yeah, because there was no one left on the London Knights <laughs> after the dust settled. Yeah, um, I think he outscored the next player by 33 points or something like that. Like He had 87 points. He he led all draft-eligible players in the OHL in points, the not CHL. just defensemen. The C- oh, the, C- the CHL. I'm pretty sure it's the CHL. Well, he I know he led all CHL defensemen in points. I didn't know it was all... I think it's all draft-eligible players in the CHL. First-year draft-eligible players in the CHL. That's crazy. That is a little ridiculous. <laughs> um, that just... What? I, I could be wrong on that fact, but I feel like that's true. Well, I, and if you feel like it's true, that, that makes it true, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, feelings. <laughs> feelings are important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my concern with Evan Bouchard is he's not a dynamic skater, um, and a lot of the offense he generated was because there was no one else to do it. <laughs> uh, like we see with it with CHL teams, it's very cyclical, so you're going to see teams tear down build back up so that's what happened with london that's what happened with windsor with di pietro is they just tore it down and yeah. they're gonna you know next year they're gonna be better because those players that they traded for is gonna come in and have larger roles but um in that circumstance when you're trying to evaluate a draft eligible defenseman is you, how did his points generate where did his goals come from things like that and a lot of it was off of the rush or him pinching in which won't be as available to him um, at the AHL level, the NHL level, and going forward. So, how do we project what his offense is going to be? And the fact that he isn't, a, a, you know, a super again, not a super dynamic player in that sense. Um, you know, he, the the theme of you know a good puck moving defenseman who can pass well is definitely within that entire group of all these guys, and he is that. But I, I just don't see the dynamicness to his game. <laughs> dynamism. Dynamism. Uh, but. From from what I have read, though, he is an excellent passer. Yes, like he, yeah. he moves the puck really well. Um, but but I and I understand what you're saying. Like he he doesn't have that high end skating. Uh, the scouting reports basically say like he's not a, a bad skater. No, like it's not like he's he's terrible at skating. Some some people kind of read like oh he's not a great skater and they think like oh he's terrible at mm. skating. What is like why does anyone want to pick him? It's like no no saying he's not great doesn't mean he's not good. Yeah, it's just it's not one of his <laughs> overriding. 
strengths. He yeah. has a good yeah, he has a good stride that he he has good strength in his legs when he's skating, but it's not like he has quick feet and acceleration and he's not like he doesn't have a super high end top speed like so but he can get going. He doesn't get beat very often on with speed. So it's it's fine. Like it's not yeah. going to be an issue. Yeah. It's not an issue necessarily, but if you're looking for a guy who's going to be a high-end offensive defenseman, that may not be his game because he's not going to be able to join the rush as effectively as he does at this lower level. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the counterpoint to that is like, yeah, okay, so he was the only guy in London, but he was the only guy in London. Like, he didn't have a lot of support. So being able to put up those kind of points and put up 25 goals without having much in the way of support like that's pretty impressive yeah for sure no there's no doubt about it and i think that he kind of falls into the same group as dobson as being that safer pick out of this group i think that boyquist is the swing for the fences and then these two are kind of the safer pick um and then quentin hughes is kind of the one that might be there and so you know these guys um, there's not much separating them it's just kind of choose your your path on what you value as a skill set more than another one and i think that bouchard's talent is his passing abilities and his able to, ability to move the puck and he's pretty good in the defensive zone as well so so basically they they've got these guys that they could kind of yeah swing for the fences on on Boakvist, or they could play it a bit more safe but still be get good players in bouchard and dobson there's uh, another name that's come up a bit is Ty Smith. I yeah. don't know how you feel about him. I like Ty Smith quite a bit, actually. Um, I think that he's a he's smarter in his executions when it comes to creating offense. He can move the puck well. He's got a good shot as well. Um, I, I think he gets underrated because this group is kind of those four that we talked about. Uh, well, it's Quinn, Quinn Hughes, Adam Boakvist, Evan Bouchard, and Noah Dobson. Yeah, okay. So I like I, I think that those four are kind of put together. And then Ty Smith is kind of left behind, where I think that Quinton Hughes would be gone. And then I think Ty Smith is more of an option at that point. And, and especially if they do explore trading down, um, whether that's you know, in 9, 10, 11, 12, then in that range, then that might be an option as well. Because I do like his game as well. I think that he has more of a higher offensive ceiling than um, the other two CHL defensemen. Now, your Canucks Army colleague, uh, Jeremy Davis, yes. he, he put out his uh, top 100. Yeah. Um, that's based both on on scouting reports, but also some, some analytics, some uh, some numbers that he's been able to pull from from different leagues. Um, and he has Ty Smith as a ahead of Dobson, and I, I found that interesting. He basically said they were equivalent, but that Ty Smith is just slightly better. That like yeah, <laughs> basically that uh, between the two of them. Um, Ty Smith basically made his team better. Yeah. And when, when he wasn't on the ice, that his team was worse than when Noah Dobson wasn't on the ice for his team. Um, so, so that's one of the things, like, I see a lot of people going, yeah, the Canucks are going to get Noah Dobson at seventh. That's the guy they like. Um, but it seems like there's also these other guys that could be better. And it, like, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Ole Ulevi is bad by any stretch, but it just seems like there's these, it's the same situation that they're going to go for the safer player who is still very good, who could still be a second pairing, maybe a top pairing guy if, if everything goes well with his development. But then there's these other players like Ty Smith, like Adam Boakvist, like Evan Bouchard, who could potentially be better picks just in the same sense that Jacob Chitrin and uh, Mikhail Sergachev and uh, the name that is not occurring to me right now would have been potentially better picks ahead of you, Alevi. Um, yeah, Fabro, McAvoy? Fabro, McAvoy. McAvoy was the one. Um, now, both Fabro and McAvoy were 
not expected to get picked as high as the Canucks were picking in the U11 draft. No. Um, but like that just seems to be the kind of situation that there's these guys that uh, it, it almost feels like a no-win situation picking a defenseman here because there's so many ways that defensemen picked later could <laughs> could turn out better than the one that the Canucks pick. You're on, the New York Islanders are almost in a better situation because they can just pick two of them, and then you're. <laughs> well, that's right because they've got the they've got the pick from Calgary. Yeah, or, they have 11th yeah. and 12th, so they can yeah. just pick two. They pick one defenseman, one forward, and then call it a day. Or even just pick two defensemen, and if yeah. one of them turns into the, a, a great defenseman, they're set. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> so to top up on the Smith and uh, Dobson thing, I think that it's because Smiths had higher success rates for comparable players and Dobson had slightly lower. And I think that part of that is because the Q had has had lower uh, success rates in the past. Uh, but also the expected points production is much higher for his comparable players. So mm-hmm. I think that's the what separates the two between them is that... Right. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, Smith just produced more offense and it looks like it's going to be more sustainable than, than Dobson has. Okay. So now I'm going to put this to you. Who would you pick out of these defensemen, assuming that Quinn Hughes is picked uh, before the Canucks pick at seventh? Because it seems like if Quinn Hughes is there, he's the obvious pick. They have to pick him. Yeah. Uh, I, I go Chaos and I go Boyquist. Okay. Um, just because <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to get talent otherwise. And I do feel that the separation in talent from someone like Dobson um, compared to the players that will be available at 37th is not as drastic as someone like Boyquist to those players. Right. So you're you're basically saying like the Canucks could get a steady two-way defenseman with their first pick in the second round. Yeah. Uh, that isn't as far removed from Dobson as the potential that Boyquist has. Yes. To to separate himself from someone like Bouchard or Dobson. Yes. And and we obviously don't know who's going to be there at that point because it's such a so variable like you know for an example there could be keandre miller could be at 37 people keep saying right. he's going to be a first round pick but i wouldn't be surprised if he falls to the second day and then we're talking about a handful of picks afterwards that then you know the game theory comes into it if you know the other team took a forward so now they'll take a defenseman or they took a defenseman so now they're going to take forward so that game theory so someone like keandre miller could be there and i don't see as drastic of a difference between those two um at that point right so that's kind of my thought process behind it um, ideally they take a defenseman and then a forward because they still need forwards regardless. But, um, that, that's my thought process behind swinging for the fences because and no matter, no matter what they're, they're, they're at a point where they need to have skill in their lineup and they're not going to be able to have a better chance to add that skill than at the top of the draft. And, uh, they swung for the fences with Patterson and, uh, based it on skill and, and smarts. <laughs> and I think everyone's okay with it now. So um, that's kind of the difference, right? Uh, it, I'm reminded of a video that went around recently, uh, just of reactions to the Elias Pettersson pick that uh, were somewhat, somewhat overblown. Yes, Some- we definitely they, somehow we got trashed in the comment section there for something, which was hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, people weren't. Uh, I, I, w- I was high on Pettersson. I was thrilled with the Pettersson pick at the time yeah. and since, <laughs> but I, not everyone was. I felt the same way. Um, I honestly felt that they weren't going to pick him based on the track record of who they had selected <laughs> in the past. I thought they were going to go Cody Glass just based for the fact that it was going to be you know, this quote-unquote safer pick and, and follow the trend more on what they've done in the past. And you know, I was 
it was one of those things that I saw Pedersen play a, a bunch of times when after the Canucks traded for Dolan. I was like, oh, they're not going to take him. He's that doesn't fit them all, and they did. <laughs> and I was skinny. like, oh wow, okay, cool. <laughs> and then they did out of this world things. So, so there's a chance then that uh, with kind of you know Judd Brackett heading things up, and they seem to be listening to Thomas Gradine and the European scouts perhaps a, a bit more. Um, maybe they lean towards the the dynamic Swedish defenseman that could potentially be the next Eric Carlson, but probably won't be. So <laughs> Daniel Wagner on the Passage to Bullet podcast said that uh, Adam Boyquist is the next Eric Carlson. <laughs> uh, you heard it here. First. Uh, <laughs> uh, you did not hear that. Don't don't lie to yourself. You heard Laurel, not Yanni. Um, no, I'm kidding. I heard both. Anyways, uh, I won't, did too. Actually, won't get into that because that's a whole other thing. Um, so so obviously they need to get skill on defense. Your vote is for Boykvist, Bukvist, Bukvist. That that's kind of the guy I would lean to as well personally. Um, I also think that Noah Dobson is fine. As much as I was like fretting about him being a safe pick and that you, they, the Canucks should run away, I'm actually like Bukvist and Dobson are the two guys that I think they should should decide between essentially yeah. at the seventh overall pick. Um, that's just that's just how I feel about it. Now I'm gonna throw this out out there just because I, I feel like I should. What if they don't pick a defenseman? That's fine. <laughs> It's either it would be either Wallstrom because he's still there, uh, or it'll be Kokaniemi, who is a center, who they could need. My only concern about Kokaniemi is he's not the greatest skater. Oh so, well, that's great. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, if there's any one of those other than that, I do think it'll be a reach. Um, it, I, I do think there's opportunities to trade down in here, and they should explore that because they need more picks. I will say that every single year until I'm blue in the face. Uh, Why would they need more picks? I don't understand. The Canucks management don't seem to think that they need more picks. Yeah. Do you know better than the Canucks management? I, I don't. I'm just providing my suggestions. <laughs> uh, but uh, like, I, I could understand. I think if Wallstrom's there at... Um, Seven. That's a really hard player to pass up on. But why? Why would you take Wallstrom when you already have Brock Besser? Because then you actually have a top <laughs> six. <laughs> I, I've seen that sentiment. I've seen that. It's like, oh, Wallstrom is very similar to to Besser. He's got a great shot like that. Well, well we already have Besser. Why do we need him? Because uh, having two Bessers seems pretty good too. Yeah. No. I, re- <laughs> I remember before the lottery, people asking me like, "Well, what if they land in second and third? I was like, "Well, then you just take Svechnikov or Zadina. <laughs> like, how, how is this? Like, how this is, is not an issue. <laughs> yeah. You literally would be like, okay, you'd have a top six right wing set up for the next Yay. decade. So, like, um, I, 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 it's hard because there's always smoke and mirrors, and there's there's people saying these things, and, and it, it's a logical conclusion that they would take a defenseman because. Where else are you going to get these defensemen? And I know that they were high on Kale McCarr last year as well. So there's obviously a desire to add a, a you know, a, a, a high, dynamic high end yeah. guy. Like so that. I think that's why people are doing that. But if they do walk away with Oliver Wallstrom or um, whoever else that may be, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think some people will. Um, and it's <laughs> definitely, it, it, I think if they do that though, that's then you're putting yourself in a position where you have to address your defense through trade. It isn't, we're not at a point anymore where you can kind of just keep on trudging along with the defensive group. I think it's then you're at a point where like, okay, now we have to add defensive prospects via trade. They haven't had the best track record with adding defensemen via trade. They have not. <laughs> um, it has not gone well for them over the course of the, the regime of the Trevor 
Linden and Jim Benning, uh, <laughs> pro level and scouting levels. And, and that's one of the things too, where like, I just have so many questions about how they evaluate defensemen. Um, that anytime that they say anything, oh, we're really high on this defenseman. It's like, yeah, but you're really high on Breezebois. Like, yeah. you're really high on on these guys. So, so I I immediately question their judgment in that respect. And so, I the idea of trading for a defenseman concerns me. Um, just in retrospect, it feels like they should have spent one of their second round picks last draft on a defenseman instead yeah. of getting Coland and Jonah Gadjevich. Fine picks, both of them. Jonah Gadjevich made sense where they picked him. But it just really feels like at some point there in that second round, having two picks, they should have addressed that need. Um, but that's hindsight a little bit. Um, I didn't have any issue with the picks when they happened, so I can't pretend like I was uh, on top of things in that regard. Yeah, and I think that like um, I wasn't a huge fan of Nick Hague in his draft year, and he was the player taken with the next pick after Colin, and he exploded offensively. Yeah, he had led uh led the ohl in goals for defensemen yeah I believe. something like 30, that. 35 goals or something like that yeah and so then after that you have a group of defensemen which are very meh in my opinion like i do like robin Sallow, who's taken afterwards but again he's not going to be a, a needle pusher in that point so i think that from that point um colin was the kind of right decision um and then defensemen after gadjevich like um, there are some really intriguing names in there. Like I think that Max Gilden, who went actually after the Canucks took uh, Di Pietro, uh, <laughs> would have been a, a very fine pick at that point. Um, but yeah, it also it, it depends on the draft classes too, right? So yeah. this year is very defensive heavy, and they could walk away with two defensemen with their first two picks, and then that kind of fixes corrects that problem that they had with their forwards, right? And then I'm sure that we'll be talking about how they don't have any forwards because their <laughs> prospects have graduated, right? Which so. is why you need more draft picks. Yeah. <laughs> Just get all of them. Get all 217. So uh, okay, so the Canucks will probably take a defenseman. Um, the sense is that they're leaning towards Noah Dobson. Who knows? But at the very least, they should end up with a very good player at seventh overall. Whether it's a forward, whether it's it's a defenseman, they will be adding to the prospect pool, which will give uh, a lot of people ammunition for saying like, "Hey, look at such a what a good job that Jim Benning has done building the prospect pool." Um, but they only have six picks. Yeah. Um, how how can they get more? <laughs> uh, trading down, which they showed um, the desire to do so yes. at the draft. They had the Got deal. Petrus Palmu. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gunnarsson, which kind of wastes the other Christopher pick. Gunnarsson. Yeah. It's like, hey, pick trade down to get two picks and then waste one. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it works. And sometimes it's just like, why you do this? Uh, but there's also the, the uh, obviously, I love referring to the infamous draft video of the, why isn't anyone taking Cole in? But there was, oh, yes. there was a deal kind of in place to trade down and add a second round pick. So, what that shows is that they, there is the desire and the understanding that trading down is a good thing uh, yeah. without sacrificing the player that you want, which was Pedersen. I have to laugh at that video, though. Every time I watch it, um, if, you, if you haven't seen it, you can look it up on YouTube, the Canucks channel, just uh, from the 2017 draft. But there's just the editing of that video is so unkind to Jim Benning. Un, unintentionally, I believe. Yeah. But he goes and he talks to George McPhee, was it? Uh yeah, uh, for the, with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Um, goes and talks to him about a potential trade, trade down, because Pedersen was not necessarily expected to go fifth overall. They wanted to trade back, get an extra pick. Great. And then there's a moment where you see Jim Benning point directly at Elias Pedersen and go, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Pedersen. He's That's right there. Yeah. That's our guy. And I can just, like, 
And then it immediately cuts to George McPhee going, ah, sorry, we don't have a deal. No trade. We're not going to do it. And and it's just, I don't think that's why McPhee didn't make the trade. Yeah. But I just like, the editing of that makes it look like George McPhee saw him point at Pedersen and went, oh, he's just going to pick Pedersen. Never mind. <laughs> uh, just It makes me laugh every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And the, the, the only way that would have worked is if they, you know, the ruse was that they were going to take Cody Glass because that's who Vegas wanted, right? So, um, and if they give, if somehow they gave it away, then <laughs> kill the deal. <laughs> but also, uh, like from a, the Vegas standpoint, is like, if the Canucks are going to take Glass, why would they be trading down a spot yeah. with you so that you can take Glass? Like, and it, it could have just been like they took some time to think it through and just went, "Nah, this doesn't make any sense." Yeah, they probably asked that exact question. Yeah. It's like, why would if they want to take Glass, why are they trading down with us? Because they would want to make sure they get their player right. So that, yeah, that's <sighs> yeah. You know, this this whole thing would be so much easier if they just won the draft lottery. Yeah, <laughs> but then we wouldn't have a podcast where we can discuss all these options because there wouldn't be any. Yeah, just take Dalian and call it. <laughs> just in. just take Dalian. Done. Okay. Well, yeah. that was a five minute podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the podcast. They could today. literally just leave after the first pick of the draft. <laughs> just see the Canucks table. Just leave. It's like okay, we're done here. Drop. Just drop the mic on yeah. stage. Like, yeah. We'd like to say hello to our draft party back in Vancouver, and we're taking Dalian clunk yeah <laughs> peace out congratulations <laughs> to the las vegas golden knights on winning the stanley cup oh man <laughs> thanks to the city of dallas for hosting us uh, and we out skis yeah so just uh to to finish up here um obviously there's the 2018 draft coming up yeah. uh the, the canucks have this pick they have the seventh pick in every subsequent round except for sixth the, pick it's because there's 31 teams, so they're the 37th pick. It always messes me oh, up. Oh, man. Sixth pick. Yeah. It used to be so easy. They, they're picking seventh in the first round, and yeah. then... It used <sighs> to be so much easier. It'd be like 7, 37, 67, 97. Now it's like you do 31 every time. Yeah. Yeah, great. That's math <laughs> that I don't want to do in my head. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, they, they've got this draft coming up, but the other news that came out towards the end of the season is that the, the Vancouver Canucks will be hosting the 2019 nhl draft and uh conspiracy theorists who who buy into the idea that gary bettman is pulling the strings and puppeting the league for his own amusement or for money i don't know what the exact conspiracy is but the conspiracy theorists would would then say well obviously the canucks are going to win the draft lottery (laughs) they're going to pick first overall so that they can do it in front of their hometown crowd even though i don't think that has ever happened before I can't in, recall a situation now. <laughs> in, in, in the history of, of cities hosting the draft, I don't think that they've ever picked first overall by winning a draft lottery. No. Um, so, like, I, I don't, yeah. I, I saw some people floating that idea, and I'm just like, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. There's only, like, whatever, 1,200 games to play before then, right? So <laughs> it's all just because we're there. Uh, good times. Yeah. But... The Canucks will be hosting the 2019 draft, and that will be a lot of fun uh, because, you know, won't have to travel anywhere to go uh, talk to some prospects and talk to some GMs and directors of player personnel and what have you. Oh, yeah. It'll be fun. You'll enjoy the experience. Yeah. I've never been to a draft. You've obviously been to a couple. Two now, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Dallas as well. So, yeah. All right. Um, It's a whirlwind. Um, It's fun. Um, It's exhausting. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah it'll be cool it'll be good good for the city of vancouver i think it's to kick off the 50th anniversary of the, the team because it's 20 1970 to 2020 so kind of kick off the start of that year which is a bit odd but uh, sure but it's, I cool. mean, it it's a good sense. event yeah um, i know they're 
the organization is excited to host it and it should be fun and uh, we generally see the hosting team make a splash at some point so <laughs> we'll see if that happens oh that worries me yeah <laughs> I mean there's there's good ways to make a splash like there's uh, I like New Jersey going with uh, trading the 10th overall pick or was it it was the 10th pick, wasn't it? Ninth, Ninth pick? Yeah. Ninth pick for Corey Schneider. <laughs> the host oh, of the draft, they don't even pick in the first round. Uh, Canucks acquiring Luongo before they hosted the draft last time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. Things happen. Yeah, so so that's going to be really exciting. Then there's the World Juniors as well. Lots of stuff happening with prospects around Vancouver. And yeah. Ryan Beach, the prospect analyst oh, for gosh. Sportsnet 650, We'll be there for all of it. Yeah, I'm even going to head to Kamloops for a couple days for the Summer Showcase this year. Even uh, though only two teams are, are... Oh, wait. Summer Showcase. That's the World, World Junior, Junior Summer yeah, Showcase. Yeah. Not the not the Penticton uh, no. Young Stars. Kamloops. Yes. I may, I may skip Young Stars just because I don't um, want to go <laughs> there for, for two games. Two games. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. My, uh, oh, oh, hey, hey. Hey. SFU and UBC are they playing? Who's who's playing? UBC is and is University playing? of Alberta. Yeah, so yeah, there will be some uh, CIS hockey to watch. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no. No. Not into that. I'll take it. I'll take the weekend off, nap a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, the summer showcase that should be good because DiPietro will be there for sure. Yeah. Um, and then probably whoever the Canucks take first round and I would assume second round pick as well should be there. So they'll have at least three guys there. Um, good for that. Uh, rather than being in Michigan or whatever it is. Yeah. So when when's that happening? July 28th to August 4th, the week before the long weekend. Excellent. So we'll look forward to your coverage in uh, your various venues of, yes. of publishing. Uh, and you can catch him occasionally on Sportsnet 650. I don't know how regular that is right now. but uh, Every Thursday morning. Every Thursday morning. Look at that. Every Thursday morning, Sportsnet 650. You can catch Ryan Beach updating you on all your favorite prospects. <sighs> My dulcet tones. Yes. <laughs> My monotone um, tones. <laughs> Well, hey, it, it makes you sound like a very serious analyst that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thanks for joining the the lowly PITB podcast with your uh, big shot ways. <laughs> it's It's been a pleasure, um, and we'll see what happens at the draft coming up. Yeah, should be fun. So, yeah, you can catch uh, Pasadabulas on Pasadabulas.com or Vancouver Courier website. You can follow at Pasadabulas. You can follow Ryan at Ryan Beach. That's B-I-E-C-H, not B-E-A-C-H. No. What? The first one. Uh, Well, the no was confusing. You said not Beach. B-E, whatever. I meant no to the second (laughs) one. (laughs) At Ryan Beach. You will probably find him just if you look for it. You should just change it to at Ryan Beach with B-E-A-C-H to remove this confusion entirely. (laughs) Anyways, have a wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine.